Let's pray, yeah. Father, we just come this morning to say that we love you. We love you, Jesus. We love you, Holy Spirit. We thank you for your presence here today. Ears to what the Spirit has to say to us today, and that he might uh, minister to our spirit, to our soul. Uh, God, I pray for someone today that is just um, driven by fear, and they're just afraid to step out and to trust you, and um, they're afraid to allow their life to take any kind of risk for fear of what may or may not work out. God, I, I pray release them from that that spark um, whose hearts are just filled with anxiety um, God about life about their circumstances about their finances God whatever it is that is the source of that anxiety um, God may your Holy Spirit um, this morning um, may you give, give them healing and that Remove that. Um, God, we thank you that um, the faith, the faith that we need to trust you is a gift from you. And God, we pray for that, that gift of faith to come upon those who, who are wondering, um, God, I want to trust you, but can you, can you just help me in my unbelief? God, help them in their unbelief today. It might be somebody that needs to take a step towards Jesus. Lord, I, I pray that your Holy Spirit will will help them take that initial step, that you will draw them to that relationship with Christ. And that, God, there would just, uh, whatever whatever is going on in their heart and mind that would keep them from taking that initial step, Lord, I pray that you, you will give them the courage to do that and to, to have an encounter with you this morning that will forever change uh, their life. We thank you for your word of time that have laid down their lives to preserve the preciousness of your word. And so we, we thank you that it is divinely inspired. And God, may, may it help us today um, to deal with issues that we deal with day in and day out in our personal lives, in the life of our church. Um, so, Lord, we, we want to learn from you. We want to um, not help us hear the words. We want to be doers of the word. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's take your Bible and uh, turn to Acts 15, um, Acts chapter 15, as we are uh, making our way through the book of Acts on this topic of hosting uh, the Spirit's presence. You know, everybody's life is driven by something, and uh, right now your life is a haunting um, fear or an unconscious belief that you have. Uh, maybe something happened in your life and you made an inner vow to yourself and you said, you know what, I'm never going to do that or I'm never going to be like my parents or I'm never going to allow that to happen to me again. And so you put up the walls and you shield yourself uh, and try to control the environment around you to keep you from experiencing uh, that painful even value in your life. Sometimes we are, there are really five common ones that we find in in most of us. And the first one is many people are driven by guilt. And so they spend their entire lives running from regret and hiding their shame. And you're manipulated by your memories. And every day you get up and you just feel this overwhelming sense of shame and guilt over something that transpired in the past. And 
sometimes because you allow your past to control your future from God doing anything good or great in your life because you feel like, oh, I don't deserve that, and, but this is what I deserve, and therefore, uh, unknowingly, we, we can do that to ourselves. You know, when Cain killed his brother Abel, uh, his sin, his guilt disconnected him from God, and, and God said something to Cain. He says, you're going to be a wanderer you know, for the rest of your life on earth. And so that describes many people who wander through life without a purpose. And we are products of our past, and we, we don't, uh, but we don't have to be prisoners of it. All right? So you do not have to be driven by, by guilt. You do not have to be driven by shame. Um, God has come to, to release you from that. Uh, some people are driven, uh, as I mentioned, um, by anger. Um, they hold on to hurts. They never get over them. And instead of releasing your pain, you have chosen to hold on to it and to review it and rehearse it and, and uh, treat it like a family heirloom. And so some people who are resentment-driven, um, driven by resentment and anger, um, some people just clam up. They just internalize it. And, you, you know, it's like burying toxic emotions within you. And anytime you bury toxicity in anything, it's, it never turns out well, right? So if I put toxic material into drinking water uh, and then send it out over the city, a lot of people are going to become ill. And so we really, we become uh, spiritually ill because we are, we are suppressing these things within us. For other people, um, they'll just blow up. They, you just explode on somebody and it's like you've been harboring this stuff and all of a sudden some little thing just triggers you and boom, you're like you know, a volcano and you just explode and erupt over everybody and you, it just always leaves a mess, right? And so resentment always hurts you more than it does the person that you resent, and those who have hurt you in the past cannot continue to hurt you in the present unless you choose to hang on to the pain of resentment and, and anger. Some people are driven by fear. And regardless of the cause, fear-driven people often um, miss great opportunities that God may want to bring down your pathway because you're fearful of moving out and taking a risk and, and trusting God in and uh, you want to play it safe and avoid those risks and just kind of maintain the status quo. And so fear, uh, fear can become a self-imposed prison. And there are all kinds of fears that we deal with and there are all kinds of phobias out there that describe the kind of fear that drives our lives. For some people, they're driven by materialism. That is, they just, you know, the desire to acquire becomes the goal of their lives and you know, the Bible warns us that possessions are temporary. They cannot bring us any kind of eternal happiness because they were nearly temporarily, uh, but certainly they're not, they have no lasting effect that's going to live beyond our lifetimes. They're just kind of a dead-end thing. And so uh, some people are driven by the need for approval. Uh, you, you live your expectations of others. You need the approval of those friends, whoever they might be in your space. So your teacher always... Uh, people who are influential in your lives, friends, whoever they might be, and so you're, you're always worried. You're always worried about what other people think about you, and so that is um, that's kind of drives your heart and your life, and all these forces that drive your your life will lead you to the same dead end, right? So unused potential, unnecessary stress, and an unfulfilled life. God didn't design you to be driven by those things. He created you for purpose. He created you out of purpose and for a purpose. God created you to be more than a person who is driven by these negative things. He created you to be driven um, in just like uh, 
driven by um, the purpose for which God has designed you, right? So uh, people who are driven by guilt and fear and resentment and anger and all these other issues, uh, oftentimes you just keep running, right? And so that's usually our default is we run, we, we change jobs, we change friends, we change marriages, we change churches, we change all kinds of external things, hoping that that change will settle the confusion and the emptiness in our hearts, The Bible says to us, as we described last week, that God's ultimate purpose for us is to glorify him. That everything God has created was created for his own glory, even us. We who are created in his image. And so the purpose that is to drive our lives is to bring glory to God. Well, what is the glory of God? It is the essence of here on earth, right? So what are his purposes? Well, one is to worship him. And so we gather here on Sundays, and we we worship, but I hope and pray that your worship is not limited to a time frame of an hour hour and a half on Sunday morning, that worship uh, is to be a part of your lifestyle. Worship is is done in many ways. It's it's not just singing a song. It can be offering up gratitude and praise to your Heavenly Father for who He is and what He's done. And, And so worship is something that is spontaneous and something that is interwoven in the fabric of our being. And We bring glory to God when we love others. When Jesus was asked to narrow it down, hey, he said the the law, bringing glory to your heavenly Father, um, becoming like Jesus. You know, God says that he has predestined us to become conformed to the image of Christ. We are growing in Christ's likeness that brings honor and glory to God. Why? Because now we are developing the mind of Christ and producing the peace and patience and kindness and gentleness and all these, these fruits, these nine fruits, then they, they get a taste of God himself and, and uh, then we begin to live the life of Christ. So whether this is in the context of your family or the context of church or work, wherever it is, listen, the closest thing to Jesus my kids knew growing up was me, me and my wife, Right? So if I'm a follower of Jesus and I represent Christ as a pastor of a church, see, obviously, in their little designs, you know, that's just the good things of Christ. Did I always live up to that expectation? Absolutely not. But at least I hope they know that, um, you know, how I responded to situations and circumstances was showing them the life, the life glorifying of Christ. And so, um, again, we, we are glorifying our Father. And so these are the purposes for which God has created us, and therefore, he wants those to drive our lives. You see, the distinctiveness of the early church in the book of Acts, they had two things going for them. Number one is they had the Holy Spirit living inside of them, right? Jesus said, do not of God unto of Jerusalem until you have experienced the power and the presence of the Spirit of God within them, their lives began to change. The second thing they had going for them was the confidence that Jesus Christ had actually been resurrected from the dead. And because they held on to those, nothing could keep them in their life from nothing could shift hell with the gospel of Jesus Christ because they understood this is why God has given them the power of the Holy Spirit to be Jesus to the world around them, to display him through the way they loved one another, the way they served other people, the way they displayed Christ through their day in and day out. The end result is God is doing phenomenal things as we studied all this 
uh, way up into Acts 15. God is saving people. He's planting churches. Uh, signs, wonders, and miracles are taking place. And if that weren't enough, not only did the gospel go to the Jews, but it went also to the Samaritans, and it went beyond to, into Judea, and now it's going to the uttermost parts of the world. And now all of a sudden, God called out of his own people a Pharisee named Saul dramatically transformed his life on the road to Damascus, renamed him Paul, and established him as a leader who would take the gospel to the Gentile world. And it was a wonderful thing because Gentiles were coming to faith in Christ by the hundreds. And it was all bringing glory to God. It's a part of his unfolding story, and every single one of us plays a part in that continuing, ongoing, unfolding story in the here and now. And so the first disciples were just on fire. Nothing could stop them, so it appeared. Now, every time the gospel went forward, Satan is pushing back against it, right? Remember that all unbelievers are in the kingdom of darkness. Us from this born into that kingdom of darkness and kingdom of God's beloved son. And so Satan's just not going to step back and say, hey, well, okay, I, I have no control over this. I'm not going to fight against Jesus is bigger than I am. Holy Spirit is against powerful than I am. I'm just going to sit back and execution from the outside, or he would bring division from the inside. Whatever it took for him to stop the progress of the church. And so as you come to Acts chapter 15, you come to a very pivotal point in the life of the early church. Because Satan is going to use an incident in order to split that church wide open. And to bring permanent division among those who are followers of Jesus Christ up to this point. And so we read in Acts chapter 15 and verse 1, really the source of all of this, this potential division. And so it says, some men came down from Judah, Judea to Antioch and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. Well, is that the gospel that Paul was taking to them, to the Gentile believers? Absolutely not. That'd be like you getting saved, uh, and uh, you come to our church, and I say, hey, you show up, guys. And all of a sudden, I say, well, in order to become a member of this church, there's a little surgical procedure you're going to have to go through, uh, and we'll take care of that for you. It's called circumcision. And all of a sudden, like, whoa. All right. So this is kind of what's happened. Uh, also, Gentile believers who had never lived under the umbrella of Judaism, and so the early believers in the church, in the, you know, the umbrella of Judaism, of Acts, Please. And so for them to make the transition uh, from becoming a non-follower of Christ to becoming a follower of Christ, no big deal for them. Why? Well, they'd already been circumcised. They were already following the laws of God. They already followed uh, all of the, the uh, Judaistic practices uh, all of their life. There, so there's virtually like no change in that area for them. Church. So it'd be like if you want to put it in our schools, uh, you know, you, you knew what church life was all about, and say you grew up in church, you were, maybe you were brought since the time you were an infant, and you, you, you got saved as a child, and, and so there was no big transition for you because church life had always been a part of your life. Well, that's the way it was for the Jews. But for the Gentiles, they were like me. I'd never dark, I didn't know what you're allowed to do and not do, and, and all those things, and so I got saved, and, and I want to become a part of the fellowship of the church, and it's like, Okay, uh, 
we got to give him the list. What's the list? The list of do's and don'ts. And these are things as a bad part of our ch- you know, These are things you're allowed to do. These are things you're not allowed to smoke. You're not allowed to gamble. You're not allowed to play cards. And the list just went on and on and on. And I'm like thinking, well, where in the world did they come up with the list? I don't, I don't see the list. So there are all kinds of lists that churches have, whether they are known or unknown, written or unwritten, set well with me, and it not going to set well with these new Gentile believers. Because here's the deal, here's the context of all of this, is that these Gentile believers, they had no problem leaving their pagan lives to follow the Lord Jesus Christ, but when they came into the church, and by the way, uh, many of the churches were meeting in synagogues, and as they came into these environments, guess what they brought with them? All of their baggage, right? Their values, the things that they used to do. And, and it's like, it wasn't like, uh, okay, so like you, you've heard that when you fish, you, you, you know, you don't catch clean fish. You catch uh, smelly, dirty fish. And so here they came in. So what were they used to doing? Well, they were used to temple prostitution. Who knew, right? So what are we going to do about this situation? They were used to eating uh, meat out of the marketplaces that had been offered up to idols. What are we going to do about this? Because this was a real problem for the Jews, right? They were taught all of their lives, mindsets. And so there were a lot of vows of these Gentile believers that they brought into the church. Now, here's what you cannot expect them to do. You cannot expect them to come into the church, give their life to Christ, and say, now, by this time next week, you've got to have your whole life cleaned up. Right? Get rid of all do stuff out of your life and you know, get rid of all the sin list. Does that sound familiar? It's called religion. And for some of you, you were steeped in religion. It was about keeping the rules, all about the rules. And so this is, this is potential, this is a huge potential to bring a deep, deep rift to in the gen- church to divide and not be one. But in order to preserve unity, in this church, they had to deal with this, what I call a, a dissension. And I define dissension like this. A dissension is opposing opinions that are not e- something out on Facebook. Get all opinions, right? so, uh, and so the, 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 those opinions will be all over the map, right? And some of those opinions may agree with what you said. Some of those opinions are going to disagree with what you said. Uh, so the question is, how, how is the early church going to function as a unit of oneness and of mind, heart, and spirit in order to continue pushing the gospel of Jesus Christ out in the, the, the Roman world and, and so that it does not stop, it does not come to a halt, but God is able through the power of his Holy Spirit just to continue to pour out his spirit and power and signs and wonders and miracles. Because, listen, sin always brings that to a screeching halt. So the question is, how can the church come to an agreement on something that they so sharply disagree about? Notice what it said in verse 2. I want you to get the weight of this. It says, this brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. I want you to kind of circle that word, sharp. In other words, man, they're discussing this. And as they are discussing this, uh, you know, voices are getting louder, tempers are beginning to flare, uh, and, and they're like going at it. This is not right. This is not what God has called us to do. And so there's this sharp dispute going on. Now the question is, what is the early church going to do? 
in this issue of circumcision, and as we'll notice further on down the, the line, is that not only did they want the new believers to be circumcised, the men, they wanted them to follow the entire law of Moses. Well, the law of Moses was like 16, 613 commands. It would take them a lifetime to begin adjusting their lives to the law of Moses and Peter's going to make the argument, hey, guys, how in the world can we expect them to keep the law of Moses? We've been in it all of our lives. We can't even keep it. We've not even been able to live up to it. In fact, if you look at the Jewish Talmud, there are 24 chapters just on what you're allowed to do or not do on the Sabbath. Who in the world can remember them all, let alone keep them? Right? Not even the Pharisees, who are the ones really the proponents of this whole process, were they able to keep the law? In fact, Jesus, I want to start on that on multiple occasions. And here's the question. How many of you, how many of you have ever been in a time of dissension with somebody else? That is, you have two opposing opinions, and you both feel very strongly about that. So how are you going to come to a conclusion? The easy way is take them out, right? Just take them out. Let's just get it over with. You're done. Boom. Uh, or you're with your kids. Parents, have you ever had any of those, uh, those moments? They had their opinion, they had their conviction, and the two are not on the same page, and now all of a sudden you are warring with each other. It happens in the workplace, it happens everywhere we go in life. Now, watch the potential of this is to destroy relationships, to split churches, to uh, bury, uh, create great distance between you as a parent and your children where they just don't want to talk to you anymore and they don't want to be around you anymore. And so this is huge in our lives. And we all have to deal with this. So the question is, got their wing? Well, I think that Acts 15, because they don't have a church playbook. Uh, they don't, the only thing they've got is the Old Testament and the teachings of the apostles up to this point. They don't, they're not sitting there with the New Testament in their lap. They, they have no firm instruction from God about this up to this point. And so they have to seek out a solution because Satan understands the potential here. And the potential is to bring to a screeching halt. Jesus says, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Satan had other plans for the early church. And he thought, aha, here is an opportunity to bring this church, this movement of God to a halt once and for all. I'm going to divide them. How many churches have been divided over dissension? Opinions. Uh, you, those of you who grew up in church, you, you probably know churches. Uh, somebody was telling me, uh, Brian was telling me in our, in our uh, small group, he left and went up the street and started a, a, another Baptist church called Harmony Baptist Church. How do you have harmony out of this harmony? You just split. Uh, so... So churches have split over all wars that have gone on in churches. You know, it used to be back when I was saved, man, it was hymns. It was hymns. It was a piano. It was an organ. It was a choir and nothing else in a Baptist church. I don't care what Baptist church you went to. It was have a, a um, orchestra, but by and large, that wasn't the case. And so and then when all of a sudden instruments were introduced into churches, a guitar, you never bring a guitar up here on the platform. Drums, you've got to be kidding me. And so churches split over this kind of stuff because they could not agree. Everybody had a conviction and opinion about it, and they could not come to a consensus as to what they should do as a result of it. And when, or, you know, when uh, all of a sudden choruses began being added into the worship atmosphere and, and people were 
more fearful of courses, and, and uh, then, you know, courses went beyond that. And, and so you understand, all right, if you've been in church life for any amount of time, you understand the potential of Satan wreaking havoc on churches over minute issues that people have firm uh, opinions about and convictions upon, and they cannot resolve their differences of opinion. So how do we do that? Well, here's, a, uh, I think, a six-fold process that we find in these verses. Number one is that you need to locate those. You need to locate those who can give you wise counsel, all right? So notice what they did. It says, so they're having sharp dispute. And so Paul says in verse 2, so Paul and Barnabas were appointed along with some of the other believers to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and elders about this question. In other words, Paul's not going to step back and say, hey, I'm in authority here. I'm the one who's leading these Gentiles to the Lord. I'm the one who is uh, planting these churches. I am the overseer of these churches. So what I say goes. He doesn't approach it that way. All right. So he says, all right, you know what? We need to bring this. We need to get wise counsel on this. So this is like, this is like a two or three week trip for Paul and, and, um, and Barnabas to go to the church in Jerusalem. So the church sent them on their way, and as they traveled through Phoenicia and Samaria, they told how the Gentiles had been converted. This news made all the brothers, everything God went through them. And then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to obey the law of Moses. And the apostles and elders met to consider the question. Now, please understand, notice this. Who was meeting? The apostles and the elders. They didn't throw this open for a church vote. All right? They didn't say, well, let's bring the church to a big meeting. Let's throw some microphones out in the aisle and let's discuss and debate this as a congregation. Do you know why they didn't do that? Because nothing good comes out of that. Trust me, nothing good comes out of that. Every time churches vote, so if they would have put it to the vote for the entire church, guess what would have happened? Well, the ones who won their way would have been very happy. The ones who lost, not wise counsel. Paul understood a very important principle here is that sometimes when you and I have uh, a passionate convictions about something and we're in an, in an opposing, uh, uh, you know, opposite of you, somebody can on the, but together work it out. You need help. All right, you need counsel outside of yourself. I mean, wise counsel. So, for example, in a marriage, if you come to an impasse and there is a topic that is just creating huge rift in your marriage, well, rather than trying to, you know, beat each other up and getting in your trenches and warring with one another, how about if you seek out wise counsel? And by wise counsel, I do not mean find a yes person who's just going to agree with you. All right, so you want to seek out somebody uh, who is wise. Maybe it might be your small group leader. It might be other people you know that are very wise and astute to the word of God and just begin sharing that, hey, this is the situation. Uh, this is where I'm coming from. This is where they're coming from. Hey, can you weigh in on this? Can you seek God's heart on this? And can you, let's talk about this. And so that's exactly what they did. This was too big of a deal. So they had to bring all of the wisdom that they could because this issue of circumcision was so, so important. No Jews. It was the sign of their speaking into the lives of these Pharisees. Hey, these are Pharisees who've gotten saved and they're giving their life to Jesus. But they're still very convinced that everybody needs to follow the law and get circumcised. So Paul come and so Paul could speak 
Pharisee understood they bring this to bear so that, listen, oftentimes God brings confirmation of his will and his desires through a multiple group of people, not necessarily just through one person. And so sometimes you and I, we need to seek out wise counsel. And so God's word to our church uh, comes oftentimes through a plurality of very wise individuals rather than just one individual. And the same thing is true in your family. So it's very dangerous, though, guys. Uh, I want to speak to the guys for a minute. It's very dangerous, uh, and, and let's say, in marriage uh, for you to go to your buddy. What do you think I ought to do? Uh, this is what you're going on in our lives. Dude, you know, uh, what you think is awesome, man. You ought to just do that. Forget her. Uh, you better keep looking for uh, some wiser counsel than that, because uh, that's probably not going to work well. Uh, uh, can I get a witness? Uh, right? So, uh, yeah, you come back to your wife and say, hey, honey, I, you know what? I sought out wise counsel. I got my buddies together. I told them what was going on. They said, hey, dude, you know, you, you need to stick to your husband, so just make her bow down in submission to you. Well, look out for that flying frying pan because it's coming across the room. Maybe it will knock some sense into you because that, that is not why people who are going to be yes, right? So you want in order to back up your argument. So everybody is weighing in on this and everybody has their opinion. The Pharisees who have been saved, have their opinion. Paul has his opinion, Barnabas, because it is a first step in the process of dealing with dissension. Here's number two, is you've got to listen for God's heart in the matter. You want to listen for God's heart in the matter. Notice what it says in verse seven. After much discussion, so this wasn't something like that, that you know, it was like one and done. Brother here, they're, they're who knows how long they were discussing. God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from the lips my lips, the message of the gospel and believe. God who knows the heart, God who knows what the heart, he showed that he accept, he made no distinction between us and them. For he purified their hearts by faith. Now then, why do you try to test God? Now that's a blow to those who are listening because one of the things a Jew would never want to do is to test God. They were told about that in the law with the exception of Malachi 3. And so he's, well, let's not test God by putting on the, next, on the next of the disciples a yoke that neither we or our fathers have been able to bear. We, no, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved just as they, they are. Much debate, tempers flaring, a lot of opinion flying around. And so I, I love how he says, you know, Peter starts, hey, some time ago, hey, let's get God's heart on the matter. And so Peter weighs in with three things that he knew about God's heart concerning this situation. He said, number one, God wants everyone to be saved, Right? It's God's desire for all to be saved, not just the Jews, but also the Gentiles. Jesus didn't tell us just to go to Jerusalem and, and you know, Judea. He told us to go to Judea and Samaria and the uttermost parts of the world. And so it's God's choice. How many people does God want to come to know Christ? Everybody. Everyone. We know that's God's heart. Number two, he says, listen, non-Jewish people are getting saved. Same Holy Spirit who came to indwell us is the same Holy Spirit who has now come to indwell them. He's empowered them and endowed them with the same Spirit of God. 
And number three, God made no distinction between us and not, not even close. All of us are saved the same way. So whether or not you grew up in church and were saved as a child growing up in church or somebody who has never been to church gets saved and comes perspective of church, all came to, as far as God's concerned, it's not like his level and it is equal. And the only reason any of us entered into God's kingdom is because of the sheer grace of God. Amen. Period. And so there's no haves and have-nots here. And so Peter wants them to understand this. Listen, we are putting upon them a burden that we can't even live up to. Why would we do that? Why would we make it hard for the unbelieving to become believing? We shouldn't do that. And so he's just kind of laying out God's heart. And so this is really a turning point for the church. It's like at Pentecost. Salvation is by grace through faith. You have to turn from your sin and embrace Christ by faith for the forgiveness of your sin. And, and he says, man, we, we don't even want to begin to t- put God to the test on this. This is God's heart. He's borne his heart to us. We understand what it is. Listen, when you are in, the, in, a, in a time of dissension, when you have uh, you know, uh, opposing opinions that, that are, you're really having a hard time res- resolving, listen, you want to get God's heart on the matter, right? So you know, before you go out there firing up your phone or lighting up Facebook or Twitter or whatever it is, social media you, you operate under, listen, you need to go before the Father and get his heart on the matter. Because I can assure you, if you will do that, God will reveal it if you are willing and ready to receive it. So Paul uh, tells us in 2 Corinthians 3, 6, that um, if we're not careful, uh, we'll try to make people live to the letter of the law without any grace. Mixing law and grace. And and we can do this. And we do this in many different ways. And I could mention many, but um, I'm going to just, I'm going to dive into one. It's a hot topic in, in the church in our day and time. And it is the issue of alcohol. Should a Christian drink or not drink? And this is a huge issue in churches. And uh, it, it can become a huge, it can become a big dividing factor in churches that, you know, you were taught all your lives. It, it's a sin. It's not allowed. You should never do it ever, ever, ever. And, and you grew up with that mindset. But then others grew up in churches that said, you know what? All things in moderation. God's giving you wisdom and freedom. Um, the Bible makes, listen, it does condemn drunkenness, but those are two totally different issues. And so the question is, you know, should or should that? So this is becoming a very divisive issue in churches, and so people have very resolved. So let me just kind of throw my two cents out there, and uh, you can write me later, right? So yes the, the, yes, the Bible does at times speak about alcohol warning of its dangers, all right? So we know that one out of six people who drink have serious alcohol problems. We know that one out of 10 kids grow up in homes with alcohol abuse. Uh, we know 100,000 people last year died uh, resulting of alcohol deaths. Uh, so so you, you do not use any alcohol or, or you're a teetotaler. I mean, that might be, you know, you say, you know what? The Bible gives us those warnings. So I'm just choosing uh, in my life not to drink, all right? That might be your conviction. That, that may be your stance. And that's fine and that's wonderful. If that's your conviction, that's your stance. Um, yeah, so I, I pick back up a stronghold. It does not bother me one iota. 
as a believer, if you, you drink alcohol, it, it is, listen, I don't, for my personal reasons, because of, you know, a glass of wine at some point or another, but I just, that just not, I'm a, I'm a diabetic, a lot of sugar and alcohol, so for those reasons, I don't drink, right? But it does not bother me. Because here, here's the counter argument. Well, well, the Bible doesn't condemn it. I understand that. But, but it can be abused, which is um, what drunkenness is about. Abused? We going to do away with that? No. We're... <laughs> All right, Jenna? Uh... <laughs> Food can be abused. Are we going to stop eating? Related, but there were also 300,000 deaths that are obesity related. I don't see anyone talking about doing away with desserts. He basically says, listen, get God's heart on the matter. If for you it would be a violation of your conscience, then don't do it. If you have the freedom in Christ, I can't force my convictions upon you because God's word has not spoken specifically to that. It is a gray area. There are a lot of gray areas in the Bible about a lot of issues that Christians divide over when we don't need to be. We want to look for scripture as God's confirmation, right? So what... what um, so my point is that you, you leave, this is an issue of your conscience. It's his conclusion in Romans chapter 14. But, but what you do want to do is you want to look at God's confirmation. I put a very bold statement there. It says, if it's not biblical, all the it's in will period. The half-brother of Jesus stands up. And by the way, the last person to speak in a meeting like this was the most influential person. So James at this point is, verse 12, the whole assembly became silent as they listened to Barnabas and Paul telling about the miraculous signs and wonders God had done among the Gentiles. Describe to us how God at first showed his concern by taking from the Gentiles a people for himself. The words of the prophets are in agreement with this as it is written. So he's, he's appealing to build and I will restore it that the remnant of men may seek the Lord and the, all the Gentiles who bear my name, says the Lord, who does these things that have been known for ages. It is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. We ought to put that above the door of every church. Instead, we should write to them, telling them to abstain from food polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from the meat strangled you know, animals, and from blood. For Moses has been preached in every city from the earliest times and is read in the synagogues on every Sabbath. And so... It, you, all right, so what, what is he saying? He's saying, listen, I'm appealing to what God has already said. We are to receive the Gentiles. Now, for the sake of unity in the church, for the sake of oneness of mind and heart, we're going to ask them, we're going to ask them to adhere to three restrictions. And really, these restrictions had to do with um, their paganism, all right? We're going to ask them not to eat meat that's been offered to idols because they're coming into the synagogues and it's a very offensive to the Jewish believers. And so we're just going to ask them, hey, uh, for the sake of, of the weaker, could you abstain from that? We're going to ask them not to eat meat that's been strangled, you know, that has, has blood in it. And here's the other one about sexual immorality, which was a no-brainer. Because remember, uh, they, in their practices of worship and paganism, often would utilize temple prostitutes. 
And so we, sexual immorality is mentioned remaining sexually pure. Watch this, which is one of the, one, it's the one area in our lives that we most, that we most, the one we struggle with the, the most. I can't even begin to tell you the strongholds of Satan. James is simply saying, listen, guys, uh, we're looking at the word here. God's accepting these Gentiles. They're coming by faith in Christ. You got to learn to compromise at times uh, in some area of your life. And so sometimes we have to compromise in regard, in regard right? So never in regard to relationships. Uh, in regard to God's word, never in regard to relationships frequently. Um, imagine. All right, here's some areas you, you need to build compromise, okay? For example, if you as a husband and wife, and let's say you're really going out, right? so is it really worth the division of the relationship? whether or not you buy this car or this car. And so it might be that, guys, yeah, you know, your wife may want that for my car. And it might be, but I really want this one. Rather than bringing division in the relationship. And so that's, that's, what, that's what the early leaders were bringing to the church. Hey, let's not divide over something that's not going to mean anything in the future. L- let's compromise and just come to this agreement so that we can continue on with the work of God and the movement of God uh, in our midst. And so uh, sometimes, parents, uh, you have to um, compromise with your kids, right? If decisions that they are making are not going to have life-changing consequences, sometimes you just got to let them make their own mistakes, right? You got to let them eat the consequences of their actions. Because if you try to be controlling over every aspect of their lives, you know what that does? It It breeds nothing but rebellion in them. It's like mama said it, daddy said it, I'm I'm tired of living under their rules, I'm doing it my way. So uh, sometimes you have to, you know, you you learn as based on the age of your child, maturity level of your child, you're letting out a little slack here and you know that the decision they're about to make is not a wise one, but you're going to let them fall, take their own fall, you're going to compromise, let them take the fall and let them reap the consequences because that's by the way, how we learn in life, is it not? All right? So if you're pressing for change that's going to destroy a relationship, that's not a wise move. Here's the thing we always should ask ourselves about all this stuff is, listen, in light of my past experiences, in light of my present, and so sometimes the wise thing to do is that you have to compromise. Now, there are areas that you cannot compromise, right? Uh, if you're being forced to disobey God's commands, uh, certainly you don't want to compromise. Not a wise thing. Here's number th- number five: is that you want to list that agreement, send that letter back to these Gentile believers. They're, they've been seeking wise counsel up to this point. They have they have listened to God's word and they've come up. Okay, these are areas that we're going to need to compromise for the sake of unity in the body of Christ. And so they listed in Barnabas. To the church. And when the church received the letter, guess what? How the Gentile God. And so it says in verse 31 the people read it and were glad for its encouraging message. Mary, maybe it's for you, it's rules for fighting fair. Because you don't fight fair. All right, you have differing opinions about something, and uh, we're going to approach these subjects in our marriage. Maybe it's rules for spending and credit or 
family values or, uh, you know, when you go to a place of employment, I, I can assure you they give you something in writing, right? That says, hey, uh, these are our expectations and uh, this is what you can and can't do. And, and so maybe there's some areas they might compromise in and maybe they won't. And so here's number six is you got to leave the door open for future restoration of the relationship. Because after all of this was settled in the church, Paul and Barnabas, uh, Paul says, hey, Barnabas, let's go back to the churches. Let's revisit them, uh, the ones that we began. And uh, Barnabas says, great, we're going to take John Mark with us. Remember John Mark? He bailed on him in the first missionary journey. And Paul says, ain't no way. No way, Jose, posible. We're not taking John Mark. And it says, watch this, it says in verse 39, they had a sharp disagreement. And they parted ways. And Barnabas went his way with John Mark, and Paul took Silas and went his way. Future restoration. Because we know that at the end of Paul's life, towards the end of it, he said in 2 Timothy 4.11, he says on his deathbed, he asks for John, a valuable person, and that he could use him in ministry, and uh, that relationship was mended and restored. Get some space, but get some grace. List in closing, real quick here. What does this mean, and what do I need to do? When you are in a situation of opposing opinions that are not easily resolved, you better locate some people who can speak into your life and give you wise counsel. Listen for God's heart on the matter. That's, that's what you do, all right? You've got to listen to God's heart. And then you want to look for scripture that brings confirmation to what God may be sharing in your heart. And you've got to learn to compromise when you need to and where you need to and put it in writing so that between you and the other individual, both of you have a list. Hey, we're going to compromise for the sake of love, for the sake of unity, or um, yeah, we're, I'm going to compromise. And always, always, always keep that door. It was so bad. You, know, you said, you know what, i got to step back for a while, but I want to leave that door. See, that's how you handle disagreement, right? But what do we normally do? And we just walk out. What, what Acts 15 says to us as a body of Christ is that the mission is falling, Right? And every single one of us bring into this congregation our baggage and our stuff. God's still working on us. And so we need to do it hand in hand so that we continue to move forward purpose-driven, not guilt-driven, not shame-driven, not anger-driven, not resentment to the world around us and display him. Let's pray together.